You're listening to the New Song Students Podcast. I'm Jackson, and I'm the student pastor at New Song Church, located in Oklahoma City. We hope this message builds your faith and helps you to know God better in a greater way today. Enjoy the message. So I'm going to jump in because I have a lot. If you know me at all, I'm Mama A. I'm Annie. Hi, guys. Hi, everybody. If you know me at all, you know I like me some Word of God. I like it. I love it. I think there is um, little nuggets just all over in the Word. And so I love it. And um, because of that, I got a lot that I want to feed you guys tonight. So um, if you tuned into Jackson's message last week, you know we're in a new series called Colossians over the book of Colossians. If you didn't tune into Jackson's online message last week, shame on you. But a quick recap. So Colossians is this letter written by Paul to this church in Colossae. Paul wrote it while he was in prison. He was in prison a lot, a lot. Like if Lily came home and said, I'm really like this guy and he's been to prison 20 times. No, no, not gonna do it. Um, and these, he, so he's writing this letter from prison to a church that he's never even been, to, been before. He's never been them. He's been there. He's never met them. And this church in Colossae, it's doing fairly well. But Paul had heard about some, things, some obstacles they were facing that he was a little bit concerned about. So that's why he wrote this letter. So Jackson um, preached last week on chapter one. I'm preaching in chapter two. And chapter two is so dense with information. I mean, it is full of information and amazing revelation and insight that I am going to have to zoom through it. And I am so, so here for it. Somebody say, I'm here for it. So I am going to pray and then we are going to get into God's word. Father God, I love you and I thank you for tonight. I thank you for each, each and every student that is in these seats. I pray for open ears, open hearts, and open minds tonight. I pray that my words are your words. I want you to be glorified tonight, Jesus. In your name we pray, amen. Okay, so before I get into the meat and potatoes of my message, of the teaching I want to dig into the first few verses of Colossians 2 that have absolutely nothing to do with my message. Um, But they're so good that I didn't just want to bypass it. So in Colossians 2, starting in verse 1, says, uh, For I want you to know how greatly I am struggling for you. This is Paul. For those in Laodicea and for all who have not seen me in person, I want their hearts to be encouraged and joined together in love so that they may have all the riches of complete understanding and have the knowledge of God's mystery, Christ. In him are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I am saying this so that no one will deceive you with arguments that sound reasonable. For I may be absent in body, but I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see how well ordered you are and you are in the strength of your faith in Christ." So students, what I want you to see tonight in those verses is that Paul, like I said, who had never met the people at this church before, he says he struggled for them. 
other versions, other translations say that I agonized for you. So he was concerned for them, but he didn't just leave it at concern. He didn't say, "Mm, I'm going to pray for you and then go on with his life like we tend to do. No, he turned his concern into action by getting involved and writing a letter. If you're taking notes, write this down. Our faith is meant to be an active faith. You know, it's one thing to be concerned. It's another thing to be a part of the solution. A reason, the reason this touched me so much is lately um, a prayer of mine has been, God, break my heart for what breaks yours. And God, in his beautiful and perfect timing, brought, had New Song offering all these amazing outreach opportunities with Serve Saturdays. And our first two mission trips of the year ever. So excited. Um, so students, I want you guys to be praying uh, about what areas you can turn your faith into action. Okay? Okay. Now let's get to my actual message. That could preach all by itself, but I've got something else for you guys. So if you're taking notes, the title of my message is Jesus, period. So I've got this fan here. It's kind of dusty, but I've got this fan here, and you can see that it's plugged in. So what do you guys think is going to happen when I click it on? Okay, let's... See, Matt, I've got a lovely assistant, Vanna, who, um, if you will help me out, stand over there. Okay. So let's see what happens when I turn the fan on. Okay, can you see it a little bit? Can you hear it? Okay. So what do you think is going to happen when Matt... There's Vanna's pretty. What? Nope. What do you think is going to happen when Matt unplugs it? Okay, let's see what happens. Go ahead and unplug it. Okay. So it stopped spinning, but it kept going for a little while though, right? But it eventually dies down. Even once it's connected or cut off from its power source, it still spins for a little bit. And this is what Paul's concern with, thank you, Vanna. This is what Paul's concern with the people in Colossae was, where there were these false teachers telling them that they could disconnect from the true power source, which is Jesus. Where am I at? So I'm mostly going to be camped out in Colossians 6 through 15. And some of the uh, translations passage this title, Christ versus the Colossian heresy. Heresy is this uh, super biblical religious word, um, and it means an opinion, doctrine, or practice that's contrary to the truth. Okay, y'all ready to get chunky? As Pastor Jackson likes to say, we like it chunky. I really want sometime for us to play that. I like it chunky, chunky, chunky. Okay, anyways, says Madagascar. Okay, here we go. Verse six. So then, just as you have received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live in him, 
being rooted and built up in him and established in the faith, just as you were taught and overflowing with gratitude. Be careful that no one takes you captive through philosophy and empty deceit based on human tradition, based on the elements, the spiritual elements of the world rather than Christ. For the entire fullness of God's nature dwells bodily in Christ. And you have been filled by him who is the head over every ruler and authority. You were also circumcised in him with a circumcision not done by hands, but by the peeling off of the flesh. We're going to go there later. Um, Like what? Um, In circumcision of Christ, when you were buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the working of God, who raised him from the dead. And when you were dead in trespasses and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, he made you alive alive with him and forgave us all our trespasses. He erased the certificate of death with its obligations that was against us and opposed to us and has taken it away by nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and disgraced them publicly. He triumphed over them in him. That's a mouthful. Okay, let's start to unpack this. Verse eight says, be careful that no one takes you captive through philosophy and empty deceit based on human tradition, based on the spiritual elements of the world rather than Christ. So these false teachers, we're gonna be calling them punks. It's it's a biblical term. So they were peddling these three different schools of false teaching that we just read. So we're gonna kind of split this room into threes. So um, Ashley, well, Ryan back. So this row right here, you guys are my first group. You're going to be my philosophy group. When I point to you, I want to, you to yell out philosophy. philosophy. Good job. Good job. So you, this group was very wise and sophisticated in the ways of the world. You guys, uh, knew the scholars and you knew all their literature. Okay. What group are you? Good job. Okay, this next group, my middle group, from here, from Avery, all the way over to Michael and back. You guys are my middle group, and you guys are tradition. Tradition. Good job. So these people follow the Jewish laws and tradition. Everybody? Tradition. Good job. And my last group, you guys are going to be called the supernatural. So this group, uh, this group, they relied heavily on spiritual and emotional encounters and dreams and vision. Okay, what group? Supernatural. All right. So as I point to you, yell out what group you are. Okay, now everybody at the same time. Good job. So it was really confusing for the people in the church and Colossae. And what made it even more confusing was these heresies and these punks were telling him, hey, it's okay. You can believe in Jesus. You can worship Jesus, but you also have to do all these other things in order to be saved. In order, you can believe in Jesus. You can believe in the gospel, but you also have to do these other things. 
And for those that don't know what the gospel is, it's not just the first four books of the Bible or of the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Gospel literally means good news. It literally means good news. And the good news is that you have been saved by the power of Jesus. God sent his son to save us. That's the good news. Jesus died to save us. That's the good news. Jesus defeated death. The tomb is still empty. He is ruling and reigning at the right hand of God right now in heaven. That's the good news. But these punks were trying to add to the good news, trying to add to the gospel. But students, if you're taking notes, write this down. Any gospel other than the true gospel is no gospel at all. I'm going to say that again. Any gospel but the true gospel is no gospel at all. Christ is all you need. So we read earlier in Colossians 2 verse 3 that in him are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I'm saying this so that no one will deceive you with arguments that sound reasonable. He is our power source. All wisdom and knowledge. He's our power source. He knows the answer before we even knew we had a question. Then in Paul, uh, Paul says in verse six, so then just as you have received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to walk in him. So you are to live as a Christian in the same way that you became a Christian. You became a believer by putting your faith in Jesus. So you should live as a believer by putting your faith in Jesus. It's not just a one-time thing. We never outgrow our, our uh, need for Jesus. No matter how spiritually mature you get, you never outgrow this. No matter where you find yourselves here tonight, students, all of us have the same need. If, you, if this is your first time here and you're new to church, your biggest need is to put your faith in Jesus. If you have uh, been distant from God for a while, you need to put your faith in Jesus. And if you've been walking with the Lord for a while, if you're a pastor or you're a leader, you know what your biggest need is? Put your faith in Jesus. Faith in Jesus Christ isn't the front door to, to uh, Christianity. It's the whole house. Let's move on to verse 7. Being rooted and built up in him and established in the faith, just as you were taught and overflowing with gratitude. Rooted and built up. That word rooted translated in the Greek means planted, immovable. So rooted, planted, and built up. Paul's basically referring to us as trees. And the roots of a tree grow down deep into the soil to where the nutrients live. Some trees, their roots grow 70 plus feet down into the soil. So Paul is telling us to be like a tree, rooted and built up and established in the faith, just as you were taught and overflowing with gratitude. When I was growing up, I remember every year for Christmas, my mom, we would go and buy a live Christmas tree. Does anybody's parents do that? Or are we all riding? Yeah? Okay, I didn't know. I figured all of us were riding the fake train. So this is what a live Christmas tree looks like before it's decorated. But what eventually happens after about a month? It dies. It looks like this. Isn't that sad? It's all brown. You can't really see it, but on the floor right here are all its needles that have fallen off. 
Why does it die? Because it's been cut off from the roots, from its power source, where it gets its nutrients from. Us Oklahomans, we live in what we lovingly call Tornado Alley. And here's a picture of the aftermath of the deadly tornado in Moore in 2013. What do you see as the only structures still standing? Students, hear me when I say this. Storms are going to come your way. We live in a fallen tornado alley world. The only thing you must be rooted and built up in the only thing that can save you. And if you are paying attention, you notice that in our chunky text, my dude Paul gives us about 20,000 in hymns and with hymns. So why is he emphasizing in him, in him, in him, and with him, with him, with him? Why does he want us to be so connected to Jesus? For two reasons. I only have two points. Just kidding. Two reasons. First reason is because Jesus is enough. No one compares to him. Jackson didn't hit on this last week, but I want to jump back to Colossians 1, in verse, uh, starting in verse 15. Paul gives basically the best resume ever. Says he is the image of the invisible God the firstborn over all creation, for everything was created by him in heaven and on earth, the visible and the invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things and by him all things hold together. He is also the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead so that he might come to have first place in everything for God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him and through him to reconcile everything to himself whether things on earth or things in heaven by making peace through his blood shed on the cross wow we could end service right there but we ain't going to this text is one of my favorite in the bible that is quite a resume But Paul doesn't stop there. He continues this resume back to our verse in chapter 2 when he says in verse 3, in him are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Then he goes on in verse 9, for the entire fullness of God's nature dwells bodily in Christ. Then in verse 14, Paul still continues the resume. He erased the certificate of death with its obligations that was against us and opposed us and and has taken it away by nailing it to the cross. What does that phrase mean, certificate of death? In ancient times, just like today, they would document all your offenses. Every time you broke the law, it added to your rap sheet. And what this verse is saying is that Jesus takes your rap sheet and he nails it to the cross above his head and he stretches out his arms and he takes the rap for you. The reason uh, that Jesus died a sinner's death is because he died for sinners. The reason that Jesus died a gruesome, brutal, criminal way is because he died for brutal criminals like you and me. 
and thank God that death does not have the final word. Check this out. Remaining, uh, look at the remaining resume in verse 15. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and disgraced them publicly. He triumphed over them in him. Disgraced them publicly. What this is referring to is in ancient Roman times uh, before CNN and Fox News and all those good news coverages, um, when a general wanted to announce a victory, he would publicly parade himself and his army into town and marching behind him naked in chains were all of his captives. So what this verse is saying is that when Jesus died and rose from the grave, check this out, he not only conquered death in our sins, but he whipped the devil and his minions too. Annie, how do you know that? Because we see the same fra- that same phrase, rulers and authorities, in Ephesians 6, 12, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers and authorities, against the cosmic powers of this darkness, against evil spiritual forces in heaven. Not only did Jesus save people from their sin, he delivered them from the forces of evil. Not even the devil himself could withstand the power of Jesus and this resume. The reason we should stay connected to Jesus is because he is enough. His resume speaks for himself. There is no uh, uh, interview process needed. There's no one like him. Help me out, students. You don't need. You don't need. You don't need any of these things to save you. Now, don't, don't. Not hear what I'm saying. I'm not saying that these things in and of themselves are evil, but they won't save you. Christ alone is enough to save you. All our spiritual needs are met in him. Check this out. We needed a mediator, and in verse 9, God becomes our mediator. We needed wholeness, and in verse 10, we become complete through our union with him. We needed to separate from our sin, and in verse 11, he becomes, our, he becomes our surgeon. We needed spiritual life, and in verse 12, Christ becomes our resurrection. We needed forgiveness, and in verse 13, he became our forgiver. We needed to be released from our debt, and in verse 14, he becomes our substitute. We need delivered from our, from, from our enemies, and in verse 15, he becomes our champion. He is enough. His promises were true the day you asked him to become Lord of your life and they remain true today. We never outgrow our need for Jesus. He is enough. Okay, the second reason that Paul wants us to stay so connected to Jesus, the power source, is because alternatives just don't cut it. But remember, it was confusing uh, for these people, they thought that connection uh, came through the philosophies and traditions and the supernatural, but it only comes through Jesus. Remember what Jackson said in his message last week. This letter was written around 60 AD. A lot of people were still alive when that happened. It's only about 60 years after Jesus died and rose again. They didn't have the Bible. They didn't have this. So they, the only thing they could go on was uh, the teachings of Epaphras, their pastor, or the testimonies of the people that uh, were still alive. So they were asking, well, what do we need to do to become Christians? 
Do we need to uh, st study the scholars' philosophies? Do we need to uh, obey the Jewish laws and traditions? Do we need to worship the supernatural and angels? So let's, uh, they didn't know what to do, so let's take a closer look at these alternatives. Let's start with? Good job. A little late, but you guys are good. You got this. So this one was really surprising to me because Paul was really educated. He wrote 14 books of the, Bible, of the New Testament. He spoke three languages, and he studied at the finest institutions. But these punks in Colossae were trying to persuade people to, put, people to put their hope and faith in empty philosophy, to rely solely on their own intelligence and their own ability to understand. It's like looking at a clock, and instead of trusting what time it says, you, you trust in your own ability to understand the cogs and the inner workings of the clock. Instead of trusting God and what his word says, you trust in your own ability to understand how he works. Hear me, I'm not saying that learning and studying about God is, and all those things are bad. No, one of my favorite books is called Jesus Through Middle Eastern Eyes. And it's all about the ancient Middle Eastern practices of that day. And what it does is it puts the Bible into context so that I can better understand why Jesus said what he said and why he did what he did. But there's often a fine line that separates true wisdom from false wisdom. And that line can be easily blurred by those whose uh, motives are impure. And I think something that we've learned over the past few years is that the philosophy or wisdom as the world sees it, it's constantly changing. You can never keep up. At one point, scholars believed the earth was flat. How'd that work out? I'm going to wreck some of your philosophies right now. In today's world, philosophy tells us that a baby is not a baby until it's born. But God's word tells us that he formed us in the womb. Before he formed us in the womb, he knew us. Today's worldly philosophy tells us there's unlimited genders. But in Genesis, the word says that God created them male and female. Students, worldly wisdom and worldly philosophy is constantly changing and it's constantly moving. But in Hebrews, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow, and forever. He never changes. Okay, my second group. otherwise known as legalism. Colossians 2.16 says, Therefore, don't let anyone judge you in regard to food and drink or in the matter of a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath day. So if you have ever attended one of my kids' baseball or basketball games with me, you know I tend to get a little excited a little loud and a little heated. I will shout out everything that I think the ref is doing wrong. And I'm usually right. But no matter how right I am, it never affects the outcome of the game. The ref might start paying more attention after I've yelled three seconds in the lane 50 times. But... 
he doesn't then start looking up at me and asking me for advice because I'm probably not a good judge in that moment. <laughs> My protests don't affect the game in any way, shape, or form. Paul is saying here, don't let unqualified judges judge you. And then Paul references in verse 16, festivals. So I want to look at a few of those. In Leviticus 23, 5, Paul talks about the Passover feast. This is one of the biggest Jewish feasts celebrating the point in time when, uh, when the Holy God told the Israelites to put the blood of a perfect spotless lamb over their doorposts and that when the Holy Spirit came into their land, it would spare them and essentially free them from slavery from the Egyptians. So uh, when this, when, uh, blah, blah, blah. And it, so yes, absolutely, good stuff. But what, so this feast would commemorate this time in history, but what it was also doing is pointing them to the Messiah that would come one day. Jesus, whom the Bible calls our Passover lamb. The blood of the lamb spares us and essentially sets us free from slavery to sin. It was pointing to something. The next feast um, I want to talk about is the Feast of Unleavened Bread. This was to follow immediately after Passover. And they were to eat this bread without leaven in it. And in the Bible, leaven represents sin. In the Bible, they called Jesus uh, the bread of life. The scriptures say he is the bread without sin. It was pointing them to something. After the Feast of Unleavened Bread is the Feast of the First Fruits. And the Feast of the First Fruits happens three days after Passover. The people would take the first fruits from the harvest of their crops, take them to the temple, and offer them up as an offering to the Lord. But who rose three days after Passover? On the actual day of the Feast of the First Fruits, Jesus Christ was resurrected. And in 1 Corinthians 15, 20, Paul says that Jesus is the first fruit from among the dead. Meaning he is the first to rise and be offered into heaven and we are sure to follow. So you see, all these traditions were never meant to save, but to be symbols of the one who is our salvation. The entire Old Testament foreshadows Jesus. So look at verse 17 of chapter 2 in Colossians. These are a shadow of what was to come. The substance is Christ. Only shadows. They're only shadows. If you can see my shadow, I can't touch my shadow. I'll never grab it. It has no substance. I can't hold on to a shadow. It's just a mere image of the substance. Jesus is that substance. He is the substance of our faith and our salvation. All these traditions are just shadows. Paul is saying, don't get legalistic because these laws don't save you. They point you to the one that can save you. God establishes all these rules and traditions in the Old Testament to point the Israelites to the future Messiah. But they were terrible at obeying them. So then come along the Pharisees who were super strict and they said, well, we are going to create more laws to force the people to obey. They beefed up God's laws with their own amendments. For instance, God said, don't work on the Sabbath. So they said, well, brick masonry is work, 
and that involves combining water and dirt. So we're going to make it illegal to spit on the dirt on the Sabbath. You can spit on a rock, but you can't spit on the dirt. This is called building a fence around the law, a fence to protect the law. But they start treating the fence like it's God's law. Another legalistic tradition that I told you we were going to come back to is what they used to call circumcision. Oh, yeah, we're going there. Verse 11 says, you were also circumcised in him with a circumcision not done with hands. What? By putting off the body of the flesh in the circumcision of Christ. When you were buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead. So circumcision was this Old Testament sign of a covenant with God. Please don't Google it. But circumcision, circumcision was basically a cutting away of a certain body part. We're all on the same page. Good. Ask your mom. The idea behind it is that it was a cutting away of the flesh that was unnecessary. But as we move into the books of the, prophet and the prophets in the Old Testament, we find out that God doesn't care about circumcision of the body. He cares about circumcision of the heart. He cares about us cutting off the sins of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. It's where you say, I am fully yours, and God says, I am unendingly committed to you. Today, thankfully, we uh, don't use circumcision as a sign of the covenant. It's been superseded by this thing we call baptism. Somebody say, thank you, Jesus, for baptism. It's a little more convenient than circumcision and clean. We are baptized. When we are baptized, we go underwater. It's just like being buried with Christ. Jesus was buried and rose again to new life. We are also raised. So the Jewish false teachers were telling people that these practices, circumcision, Levitical festivals, going to church every Sabbath, were how you could earn your salvation. But God's word says in Ephesians, for it is by grace you have been saved through faith, not by works, so that no man can boast. When we start putting our faith and confidence in our own abilities to keep these traditions, did you know it's actually offensive to God? Because it degrades and it minimizes the work of the cross. It's like saying, thanks, Jesus, but I need a little more than just the cross to go to heaven. I'm going to have to earn my way. It's like if Bill Gates, who's worth $138 billion, billion, came to me and said, Annie, I'm going to give you everything I own. And I'm like, thanks, Bill. But you know, if I could just have your $138 billion and this podium, then... Then I'll have it all. No. We can tell ourselves, if I just go to church enough, if I just serve enough, if I just give enough, like a car loan, a few more payments, and heaven is mine. No. All these things are good. You should go to church, and you should serve, and you should give tithes and offerings, but they are fruits of salvation. They're not the root of your salvation, Those are like apples on an apple tree. We can't confuse the fruit with the root. 
and Jesus Christ is the root. It's not Jesus plus, it's Jesus period. Okay, my last group. That's all right. So this group basically believed that salvation came through experience, uh, uh, spiritual experiences and emotional encounters. Look at Colossians 2.18. Let no one condemn you by delighting in false humility and the worship of angels, claiming access to a visionary realm. Such people are inflated, means puffed up, by empty notions of their unspiritual mind. That first phrase, false humility, basically means they were bragging. I'm so humble that I don't even pray to Jesus. I got to pray to angels. But we know we can access Jesus ourselves. There is no barrier. The veil is torn. These punks held cult-like practices such as seances. They believed in tarot cards, psychics, palm readers. They relied on, uh, solely on dreams and visions to lead them. They probably had like a dream catcher above their bed. New age. This group wants to experience the supernatural beyond Jesus, but there are no deeper waters than the gospel. We can't solely rely on emotional, heartfelt experiences because God's word says the heart is deceitful. All these teachings are just shadows. They contain no substance, no real power. Connection to God does not come through. Tori. Does not come through. It only comes through Jesus. Pastor Josh just preached Sunday. He is the way, the life, the truth. Switch that. The way, the truth, the life. Colossians 2.22 says, all these regulations refer to what is destined to perish by being used up. They are human commands and doctrines. Although they have a reputation for wisdom by promoting self-made religion, false humility, and severe treatment of the body, they are not any value in curbing self-indulgence. These alternatives may seem wise, they may seem like they have power. It may seem like the fan blades are turning. But they have no roots. They have no real power. They don't work. Philosophies doesn't fundamentally change your character. Human religious traditions cannot cause you to love God more. And the supernatural does not transform your heart. Remember in verse 18, it said, such people are inflated. Inflated means puffed up, prideful. These alternatives make us proud. They elevate us above Christ. Paul is telling the people in Colossae that these alternative saviors cannot save you. In one of C.S. Lewis's Chronicles of Narnia books called The Dawn Treader, The Voyage of the Dawn Treader, there's this boy who's a real jerk. His name is Eustace Scrub. He sounds like a jerk. Partway through the book, he is turned into a dragon because of his ugly heart. He's got a dragon heart. In the whole book, he's basically trying to de-dragonify himself. He digs his claws in himself, ripping off his flesh, but nothing changes him. It doesn't change him. 
until the Christ figure of the Narnia books, Aslan, shows up. And he tells them, look, Eustace, I must do it. And Aslan takes his claws and digs them into the dragonified boy. He peels off his dragon layers, and once again, Eustace is a boy. Only Christ can cut us deep enough. There's no shortcuts to spirituality. You can't go around Jesus. Nothing else has the power to change us, including ourselves. We need to stay connected to Jesus. We need him to de-dragonify us over and over and over again. We need his power in our lives. We need to be rooted and built up in him. Band, if you guys want to come up as I start to close. Okay, but Mama A, how do I do that? How do I stay connected to Jesus? I'm going to tell you. Four simple things. Number one, stay connected through the word. The Bible is literally God speaking to us. Remember that word I used earlier, heresy? Means an opinion, doctrine, or practice contrary to the truth. Well, I heard this quote earlier this week. He who does not study the Bible confuses heresy with the voice of God. I've been a Christian for years, most of my life, and Bible reading can still feel like a burden instead of a joy. And when uh, the goal of reading is completion, it is a burden. But when the goal of reading is to know God more, that's when it turns into a joy. Read scripture to know God more because it is a joy to know him. Number two, stay connected to Jesus through prayer. Talk to your father. Talk to your savior and listen to him. But he doesn't talk back. There's this quote by Richard, Rich Velotis. I don't know if I'm saying that right. Velotis, Velotis. Put the wrong emphasis. Anyways, think of boredom during silent prayer as an act of purification. In this uneventful moment, God purifies us of the false God of good feelings. While, while good feelings are gifts, they can easily become ends in themselves. We can move from worshiping the living God to worshiping our spiritual experiences. This is a fine line we must be mindful of. The ever-urgent need for people growing in relationship with God is the willingness to endure moments that are far from inspirational. Literally, on my way here to church tonight, Braden and I were driving here. This song by Elevation Worship came on called Talking to Jesus. If you haven't heard it, as soon as you leave church here tonight, go listen to it talking to Jesus. It's so good. Number three, stay connected to Jesus through faith. Are you trusting him, students, in every area of your life? As you grow more in your walk of faith, are you believing in his promises more and more? And number four, Stay connected to Jesus through the church. The church, this family, 
This body of believers is a gift to us. No one, not one of us is immune from walking away from Jesus. That's why our Father has given us a group of people to support us and pray for us. And this New Song Students family is an amazing body of believers. Students, stay connected to Jesus. Stay connected to the power source. I want you guys to close your eyes, bow your heads.